The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. You take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 23. It's good to be back this week. I just want to say thanks for all of your prayers, cards I got, and uh, uh, it's just good to be back home this morning. Amen? This morning, uh, I, I want to share with you some reflections and thoughts that I had the last couple of weeks. Um, as I meditated in Psalm 23, and I've kind of entitled this, this message, Assurance in Times of Crisis. Psalm 23 is probably one of our most familiar passages to all of us. Many of us probably learned this psalm when we were little children. There are some passages in Scripture that when you read them, when you meditate on them, they seem to be so powerful, they seem to be so deep, so rich. When we recite them, they, they seem as though uh, they're just coming off the pages in Scripture to us, and that's the way Psalm 23 is, I think. It's written out of David's heart and his life and his experience with God. We're not quite sure what circumstances were taking place in David's life when he wrote this psalm, but it's, it's very clear that, that David was not just talking about God, but, but he was talking to God in this psalm as well, where he experienced God's richness, his, his depth, his love, his grace, and his mercy. One scholar says this about Psalm 23. He says, the psalm itself is green pasture. The psalm itself is still water. The psalm itself restores the soul. I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand where you are, and we're going to recite Psalm 23 together as a congregation. The words will be on the screen here that you can follow them, but I want you to read this psalm aloud with me as we begin in verse 21. A psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You may be seated. Psalm 23 is a very personal writing of David. One of the ways we, we see that is because when, when he's writing this psalm, we, the pronouns that David, are used, David uses, notice that in verses 3 and 4 in particular, it's, it's very personable. There's no we or us, there's no they or them that he writes. The thing that we find, the pronouns that he uses in this psalm that make it very personal is that he speaks of my and me. 
I and you. This is David's experience with God. One of the things that struck out, struck me this week as I was reading this psalm is that not only was David writing of his personal experience with God as he walked through these valleys in life that we experience, but also that he had confidence in what he was saying. That it wasn't just some theoretical hoblob that, that David was writing. It's not that David sat down and tried to, to pin out some eloquent poem, although it is very eloquent. It comes out of his deep personal experience with God and his absolute confidence in that these things that he was writing of God, as he was speaking to God, these things are very personal and he had extreme confidence in them. You see, David experienced God in the very ways that he's writing about. As we read Psalm 23, we recognize that that David heard God's voice, that David followed God's leading throughout his life, and in that shadow, that dark shadow, that dark place, and we see that David experienced the very voice of God. Now, probably not an audible voice, but we've all heard that voice of God that when he speaks into our heart, when the, pages le- when the words leap off the pages of Scripture, that we know God is speaking to us. How many of you can relate to what I'm talking about here? That he heard the very voice of God in this. There's a transition, though, that takes place in the psalm that we've got to take notice of because it points out the fact that David is more speaking of his experience with God than he is about who God is. Notice in verses 1 to 3 that David refers to God in the third person. Everybody everybody understand that? You remember your grammar. David would be the first person, but he's speaking of God in the third person here when he makes these statements, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down and he leads me and then he restores my soul. He's speaking of God in that third person, but in verse four, that almost seems to be out of place in the psalm, he moves from speaking of God in the third person to speaking to God in the second person where he's more speaking of God in this sense. Notice what he says. He says, I will fear no evil for who? You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me and you anoint my head with oil. You see the shift there? You see, in one instance, he seems to be talking about God, but in the other instance, in verse 4, when it seems as though he's speaking of this experience that he's in, he's more talking to God than about God. You see, I've found in my life that when I'm walking in the green pasture, so to speak, it's easy for me to talk about God. But when I'm in that dark place, I find myself talking to God, not about God. Do you understand what David is going through here? Do you understand what he's speaking of here? It's almost as if David in that instance realizes that that he's been in that green pasture and God is just a thing to him. But now as he's going through this, whatever experience that he's going through in his life, he's now speaking to God rather than about God. You see, something deep, I think, in this instance in David's life happened between him and God that had never taken place before because God becomes more personable to him in that sense than just theoretical. Have you ever noticed in your life where 
there are times you might be speaking of God or about God, but then you hit some precipice in life, and all of a sudden, you're not just talking about God, but you're talking to God. There's a shift there. And sometimes I find in life that it's when we go through those deep, dark experiences, as David is communicating here, that it shifts from talking about God, but we speak really directly to God, and there's something that happens where all of a sudden it changes. You see, one of the things that that I really believe is evident in the psalm is that God allowed David to walk through this dark valley that he's going through. As a matter of fact, the indication here is that not only does God allow David, but God led David through this experience that he's going through in his life. It says here in verse 3, he causes me, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Another way to translate that from the Hebrew, not that he leads me in righteousness, but he leads me in the right way. And can I say this, that as we're walking with God, whatever it is that we might face in life, God is leading us in the right path. Now, I'm not talking about instances where we sin against God, but I'm speaking of life. Do we understand that? That it's God that leads us in the right path, but the assurance is, is that wherever God leads us, he will always be with us. Can I say, can I get an amen to that? Regardless of what it is. Now, we, we ask this question, why would a shepherd lead a sheep into an area that, that might be a seeming harmful or difficult circumstance for that sheep? You ever wonder that question? Have we ever said, God, why? We've all said, God, why? And it's a natural question to ask, but can I tell you with confidence, as David would speak with confidence in this passage, that God was leading him in the right path. Another way to uh, to, to look at this, this instance in that where he goes into verse 4 where he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Interesting play on Hebrew words here. There are two words that actually make up that phrase uh, that is translated in our English translation to shadow of death that in Scripture sometimes that phrase is used to speak of death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And it's talking about physical death. There are other times that it's used in Scripture where it gives you an indication that it's a dark place spiritually or emotionally that we might go through. So it can be translated either way. But the assurance there is, is that whatever we are going through, whatever we're experiencing in life, God has not left us. God is still the shepherd, and he is the good shepherd. You see, the question there again is, why would God then lead me in that right path, although it seems like it's a very dark place, a very fearful place, why would he lead me in that path? And the obvious answer is, because he's got somewhere else he wants to take us, and the only way to get there is through the path that he's leading us on. Philip Keller in his uh, book, Psalm 23, I think the title is The Good Shepherd. If you've never read it, I would encourage you to read Philip Keller's book on Psalm 23. Probably one of the best writings on, 
on Psalm 23 that there is. He's an Australian, and he's actually a shepherd himself. And out of his experience, he writes this, uh, uh, speaking of these barren valleys, he says this, the shepherd knows from past experience that predators like coyotes, bears, wolves, or cougars can take cover in these broken cliffs. And from their vantage point, they can prey on his flock. He knows these valleys can be subject to sudden storm and flash floods that send walls of water rampaging down the slopes. There could be rock slides, mud, or a dozen other natural disasters that would destroy or injure his sheep. But in spite of such hazards, he also knows that this is still the best way to take his flock to the high country. He spares himself no pains or trouble or time to keep an eye out for any danger that might develop. And the reason he's taking him through that place It's because he knows that through that place, although it has its trials, although it has its situations, that he's taking him through that place to get him to a better place, that God knows that it's him working in them, that only God can do that, to get them to some better place. You see, the good shepherd has you and I covered, just like he had David covered. Notice that he stays in God's presence as he's walking through this. Whatever this dark shadow might have been that David was going through, the one thing that is very clear in the psalm is that David stayed in God's presence. You see, my typical reaction to calamity in life, my typical typical reaction to failures in life, my typical reaction to bad times in life is to try to find a way out of that. That's natural. You see, the question is, am I going to flee the shepherd to find another way, or am I going to trust him, holding onto his knee, knowing that he knows the right path to my life because he's taken me to a place and he's taken me through an experience that I might understand and know him more than I ever could in any other way except going through that experience. You see, The confidence that we have in God as a good shepherd is that whatever it is we are walking through, he is committed to conform us to the likeness of Christ. I think I said it last week before last when I preached. By the way, parentheses, Zach, great message last Sunday. Amen? Just a good word. One thing that that I have have discovered in in these things is that that when God takes us through something, there's a work that he's doing in us at the same time. It's at Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that for those that love God, God works all things out according to their good, right? For their good. The next verse, Romans 8, 29 is, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. And God is always at work in our life if we're responsive to hearing what he wants to do in us. Because it's only through those experiences sometimes that we come to a place in our relationship with God that we never would have come to had we not walked through that valley of darkness. There's something about it. There's a richness there on the other side that we didn't have when we went into that place. 
I've made reference to this a number of times in 2012, 2013, where, when our life just kind of fell apart, and I've shared much of this before. As I was sitting one day in my office at my house there in Florida, and I was reading the, the, the devotional Streams in the Desert. If you're not familiar with that devotional, a great morning devotional to use. And I was complaining to God. You've never done that before, have you? I found myself unemployed at 50 years of age and gone from the pinnacle of what I thought pinnacle of ministry was, mega church, all that stuff, at the hands of a, another individual, lost my job and found myself from, from that high place to valeting cars in the front of Park Place in West Palm Beach, Florida. And I was talking to God about it. During that same year, my, my mother passed away in July, I think it was. Sandy's sister passed away just a couple of months later. Um, our whole world just seemed to fall apart. There was barely enough money to pay the utilities and, and food, let alone other necessities. Didn't know if I was going to lose my house. Didn't know if we were going to be homeless. And the Lord spoke into my heart. I've never seen the righteous begging for bread. But I'm complaining to God. And I'm complaining about the one person that was responsible for all of this in my life. And, and I'm praying one of those precatory prayers. You know what I mean? <laughs> God, would you slay him? It's okay to pray that way. God said, he didn't do this to you. I did this to you. You see, it made all the difference in the world. In my walk and in my life and my response to the situation that we found ourselves in. To recognize and realize that even at the hands of another individual, God was working so that he might work in my life and conform me to the likeness of Christ. Now, I'm still a long way from that, right? But there's a lot more depth and richness than there ever was before. You see, so no matter what it might be, whatever this dark shadow you might be facing today is, there's so many of you that have experienced just in the last couple of weeks, very painful things. Know this for all certainty. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of dark places is, is the way to translate that. I will fear no evil for why? You are with me. He has not abandoned us in those dark places whether it is a physical situation or a spiritual situation that we might be facing. He who watches over you, the Bible says, neither slumbers nor sleeps. I take a nap every afternoon, but he doesn't. Amen? He who watches over you neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. And he will always walk with us, whether it's in the present or whether it's in the future. Author Kenneth Wilson, who wrote the book, Have Faith Without Fear, shares an experience of him growing up in Pittsburgh in the house that, that he lived in. It's a long quote, but I want to quote this story to you. 
That house in which we lived on the side of one of Pittsburgh's hills was three stories high in the front and four in the back. The bottom layer was the cellar, and the top was what we called the third floor. It was really a finished attic, the ceiling of which was cut into shadowed geometric shapes by dormer windows. Up there were two bedrooms, a hallway, and a mysterious storage room for trunks that always smelled of mothballs. Remember your grandma's house? Our family slept there because the second floor was usually rented out for a tenant uh, to help pay for rent. What was unnerving for me was that as the youngest, I had to go to bed first, braving that floor of dark bedrooms. I had to go to bed first. That bed in that room on the third floor seemed to be at the end of the earth, remote from human habitation, close to unexplained noises and dark secrets. At my urging, my father would try to stop the windows from rattling wedging wooden matchsticks into the cracks, but they always rattled in spite of his efforts. Sometimes he would read me a story, but inevitably, inevitably the time would come when he would turn out the light and shut the door, and I would hear his steps on the stairs growing fainter and fainter. Then all would be quiet except for the rattling windows and my cowering imagination. Once I remembered, my father said, Would you rather leave the light on and go downstairs or turn the light out and stay with you or me and me stay with you for a while? I chose presence with darkness over absence with light. You get that? I chose presence with darkness rather than absence with light. You see, there's no greater place to be, regardless of where we are, than to be right in the will, right in the center of his care, right in the center of his love. And if you will, I can just imagine as a child, just grabbing him around the knees and holding on to him because we know that if we let go of him, then all is lost. Amen? You see, isn't that not what we really want the most in our valleys? The assurance that someone, capital S, is there. You see, sometimes we don't feel his presence. Amen? But we know that he is there. Sometimes we don't sense his presence, but we know that he is there. My experience in the Christian life has been sometimes, even when I don't feel God's presence, when I don't sense God's presence, God is allowing that in necessity so that I might draw near to him with my whole heart and my whole being. It's that old adage, absence makes a heart grow fonder. It's true, isn't it? Although we might not feel God's presence, we may not sense God's presence, God is working in us to draw us near to him so that as he is explained as the light, he might shine a light in our heart that we might know him in a way that we never would have ever been able to know him before. You see, there's no valley, no matter how dark, 
that you will go through alone. He will not leave you. Moving through. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. David witnessed and experienced God's power in this circumstance in his life that he had never experienced before. And he uses this this image. David himself was a shepherd, so he would know the imagery very well. You see, so many times in Scripture, the Scriptures refer to God like a shepherd. Now, it wasn't uncommon in that day, in that time, and still today in the the Middle East where, where shepherding is a real vocation, right? You see, here we only talk about it, but there it's a real vocation, And so they would have understood the whole analogy of a shepherd and making reference to God as a shepherd. I love what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. He says, he will tend, he, meaning God, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. The rod. Was more of a short club, still is today, than it was a long stick. It was about two to three foot long, and it was typically made out of some hardwood like oak, if you can imagine. And and it would be cut out from a place where a limb had had grown out of that tree, and there would be a knot there. And so the shepherd would use that club to fend off those enemies, if you will, of the sheep those predatory animals that would want to come and, and slaughter the sheep. And, and the, the, the defender would use that. Well, can I tell you that, that this imagery as God having a rod is not for your back, but it's for our enemy's back. Amen? And we hold on to the confidence that he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. He sees God's power demonstrated He experienced not only God's power, but he experienced God's leading. You see, the staff, that that imagery, that picture that you have in your mind of Jesus, you know, the European Jesus, blonde hair, blue eyes, holding the shepherd's staff, had a hook on the end of it, and that's literally how they would use that. And it would be used so that, that when the sheep might have fallen into a ravine or fallen off the path, that the shepherd would, would gently take that lamb and pull it back into the fold where it would have safety and protection. The other thing that that staff was used for was that when the sheep would begin to wander off from the fold, all it took was a gentle tap from the shepherd to get the sheep back in line. Some of us have this image of God, that God is just waiting, and the moment we step out of line, he's going to knock the crud out of us with that staff. But can I tell you again, he is the good, and he's the gentle shepherd. Now, if you're like me, sometimes it takes two or three taps, and the third one is a little bit more firm than the first one was. But see, God's desire is that we walk right with him. And can I encourage you that there's absolutely nothing that you or I can do There's absolutely nothing in life that can take place that will ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. 
You see, Paul reminds us of that in, in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 37. There's absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And I'm sure odds would bear it out that here this morning in this sanctuary or watching online, there are some of us who have had an instance. There's some of us who have had a situation. There's some of us who may have made a bad decision and a bad choice. But can I tell you this morning that the grace of God is able to cover that as we turn from and come back to him because he is the good shepherd. See, David was confident of God's leading him through all circumstances, whether they be present or future. David realized that this experience that he was going through was drawing him into a deeper relationship with God than he would ever have experienced had God not led him through that path. I've often referred to situations in life where it's so hard is like the medicine, maybe the kaopectate or um, I just had a thought. How many of you are old enough to remember Paragard? Oh, if you're, if you're millennial or Gen X, you don't know what you're missing. Isn't that how you pronounce it, perigarch? Mama thought perigarch healed everything. And she would mix it with orange juice. It didn't take much, but about a teaspoon. Mix it with orange juice. But it didn't cover up the taste. It was absolutely horrible. Sometimes you'd think that was going to kill you and not the ailment that you were facing. Sometimes I, I, I look at these experiences with God kind of like Paragard. They are rot- they, they're horrible. They're painful. But you know that there's healing in it, and the only way that the healing can come is to take the Paragard. I was looking back in the notes uh, on my phone this week. You know, the little note thing that you keep. And April the 1st, 19, or excuse me, 2015, I found a note that said wilderness lessons. And that was what I called those experiences. We weren't out of it yet. But I look back in the notes that I had typed there in my phone to, to lessons that I had learned or was learning that I could not have learned any other way than by going through what I was going through. It was kind of funny that I, that I found this. I wasn't looking for it. What, what David may have referred to as that dark place, I called a wilderness lesson. I'm just going to read some of, the, some of the things that I was learning through it. And here are some of the things that you can learn right now through your experience or maybe keep in mind for the future. Number one was I learned my absolute security in God. My security didn't rest in men. My security didn't rest in government. My security didn't rest in the church. My security alone rested in God alone. 
I was learning how to forgive. Now, that was a long process. <laughs> Sometimes we think we just forgive and it's over. That's not true. Forgiveness is like an onion. You realize that. There are a lot of layers to it. You take off one layer and you realize there's another layer there. That's why Jesus said in response to how often should we forgive, Jesus said 70 times 7. It's, it's a continual thing. There's, there's that process of learning to forgive. I, I had grown in an intimacy with God like I had never had before in my life. And sometimes I long not for that experience again, but I long for that intimacy that we find when we're in that dark place. God, I'm not asking you to take me through another dark place by that, right? You see, that's how we know that he is there because there is an intimacy. You, you can't put it into words, but you know it's there. You know he's there. You know he's right there. I've grown in my faith and my trust. <laughs> I've used this often. Um, I've been fired once as a pastor, right? so I, I, I'm, not, I'm not afraid to say what I need to say anymore. God took care of me. To trust in him and his word. The other thing that I learned in that was that the only thing that really matters is the gospel. All this other stuff. Oftentimes that feeds the flesh more than it does the spirit. The only thing that matters is the gospel. The other thing that I noted here was very important. I, I learned for the first time more of God's grace in my life, and not only God's grace in my life, but how to have grace towards others. I'm not saying I've, I've arrived there, but I'm, through that experience, there's so much more grace than I ever understood or knew of God's grace for me and God's grace for others. Therefore, my, my, my desire to, to follow after him, to have that kind of grace with others. The only thing that matters is the gospel. You see, for not only is the gospel powerful to save, but as Paul says in Romans, we are being saved. You see, we haven't recognized yet the fullness of our salvation. That will happen on that day that we meet Jesus face to face. We are being saved. There's that there's that thing going on in our lives that he is sanctifying us. He's, he's making us more holy. He's conforming us to the likeness of Christ. And it's the gospel and the message of the gospel and the living the gospel, the recognizing the gospel, the preaching the gospel to myself every single day and to yourself every single day. It is in that that there's power to salvation. Let me wrap it up. I don't know where you are this morning. I know where some of you are. 
you're hurting right now and you may be like me or asking that question why odds are you will not find that answer on this side amen but one thing that that we do know from this psalm and what scripture teaches us is that God's priority in our life (laughs) God's priority in your life and my life is not to make life better can I get an amen to that anybody that tells you that run because they're a false prophet now he's he's come that we might have life and that more abundantly but in our western culture we equate that to stuff God's primary objective in your life and in my life as professed Christ followers is to conform us to the likeness of Christ. That we might be image bearers bearers in a dark and fallen, sin-wrought world. I'm not speaking prophetically here, but I'm just stating a fact. I may be wrong, but folks, America's not going to get better. It's not. In the words of Jim Austin, he used to say, Mayberry is gone and it ain't coming back. But I tell you who is coming back Jesus Christ. You see, the book never tells us that America's going to get better, but it does tell us to be salt and light. In a dark world, we are living in dark and perilous times. He has not called you and He's not called me to hunker down in our bunker and wait for things to get better. He's called you and I to be on mission, to win one to Christ to make a disciple out of that one, and to send that one to win others and make a disciple. That's what he's called us to. It's been very heavy on my heart in the last couple of months that that I need to get more serious about this thing called the gospel. And we as a church body need to get more serious about this thing called the gospel. I'll be stepping away from Genesis for a few weeks. And and we're going to begin to look at the story of the gospel. Because as salt and light, as those on mission with him, every one of us have an opportunity every single day to either plant a seed of the gospel in somebody's heart, to cultivate a seed that may have already been planted there, or to be blessed by God's grace to witness a part of the harvest. I say that every morning 
We pray that every morning on our morning devotions. God, give us an opportunity to plant a seed. God, give us an opportunity to cultivate a seed. God, give us an opportunity to see somebody saved, to be a a part of the harvest, to witness a part of you saving others. And here's what I want to ask you as a church body to do, particularly those who are intercessors. Would you particularly pray over the next four weeks that God would work deeply in my heart and in our hearts that we might have a laser beam focus put on our hearts of the necessity of the gospel. Listen, we have the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and we still know life is hard. Those that were just like us who are lost and not in relationship to God, who don't have the comfort of the Holy Spirit, can you imagine how difficult life is for them? And how very difficult life's going to be when this life is over and they transition to the next, separated from God for an eternity. Would you pray that God would work in our hearts? Number two, would you pray that God would put somebody on your heart? That that you might be intentional. You daily pray that God would either use you or somebody else in their life to bring them to faith and trust in Christ. Number three, if you're here this morning and you've not trusted Christ as your Savior, if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, one of those platforms, and you've not trusted Christ, maybe, I'm not saying, have you just been baptized? (laughs) You see, that's not a work of salvation. That's a follow in obedience after salvation. Jesus said, you must be born again. I didn't say if, you're, if you've been a long-time church member. Billy Graham used to say that the greatest mission field for evangelism is the Southern Baptist Church. And Billy Graham said that. You see, a lot of us cut our teeth in their nursery, grew up, Nothing ever transformed or took place in our hearts and our lives that we know that we've placed our trust in Christ. We just become good church folk. A lot of church folk are going to be in hell. I'm being, I love, I'm not badgering anybody. Don't take it that way. I'm just stating truth. But that God will work in us to make us serious about this mission. And I, I'm not saying that we're not. Stories I hear every week of people sharing their faith and et cetera with others. But would we ask God to intensify that in our hearts? We're going to start that series, and a part of that. We have, the Missions Committee has, has, has decided to partner with CCCD, the Jamaican Deaf Village in Jamaica, to help support them. And with that, they've, we've, we've been able to acquire a hundred of these T-shirts, different colors, different sizes, 
And this isn't a, I'm not trying to do a hat trick here. I just want to hear the stories. If, if you have an opportunity in the coming week to either plant a seed of the gospel in somebody's heart, to cultivate a seed that's already been planted, or to witness the harvest, at the Connect desk every Sunday, there are going to be cards that are there. One is plant, one is cultivate, and one is harvest. And when I ask you, just, you don't have to put your name on it or anything like that. I just want you to share that story briefly. Because oftentimes we don't have opportunities to share the stories, right? And I want to be able to share some of those stories over the coming four weeks of, of how God is using our body. And as you've been able to do that, the t-shirts are taken care of. We want to, we want to give you one of these t-shirts. Now, I'm not trying to sell tickets for a drawing just to get you there. You understand what I'm saying? But it was a way that we could support financially CCCD. And so a part of that is in this effort that we're doing in our emphasis on evangelism. Everybody understands those directions. Nod your head. If you don't see Ryan after the service, he'll explain it to you better than I can. The main thing we want to do, folks, is pray, 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 pray. Ask God to move in us. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.